0: This morning, we are going to continue in our study uh, <clears throat> titled Our Only Hope. <clears throat> That's the main title. And we are endeavoring to find our way as we try and understand the supremacy of Christ in a postmodern world and how we are impacted by that. And it's important that we realize that we're living in a world which we have said in, uh, in earlier lessons uh, is not welcoming to us. But we are here nonetheless, and we're here for a reason, and we spoke spoken about those reasons. And primarily, we will look at the Lord's high priestly prayer. We have been left here uh, because that is his desire. We, uh, we, he hasn't prayed that we should be taken out of the world, but that we should remain in the world and thereby be examples uh, of, the, of him and you know, the work he's done in our lives. And this morning, <coughs> excuse me. We'll be looking at uh, the lesson called Christ and the Church. This is going to be part one of two parts. This morning's going to be a little bit technical. I must use that word. Uh, we are going to look at some things we are just not normally plow through, but I think I want to get to and understand, help us understand what the Church is and uh, and what it's about uh, from a from a perspective that is more than just where we ask the question. What is the church? And then we say, oh, it's a universal church, a local church, and we go on from there. We'll touch on some of that, but that will be next week. But today, I just want to try and help us understand who we are and why we are called what we are called. And you will see how that unpacks uh, in the lesson this morning. The word church, as it refers to the unified body of the disciples of Christ, appears for the first time in the New Testament. You know which gospel appears for the first time? Matthew's gospel. You know which chapter? And uh, the verse is 18. The chapter is? There you go. Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18. And that is the very first mention of the word church in the New Testament. And it's mentioned by Christ himself. And it's responding to a. a, a A declaration made by Peter when Peter says that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answers him and, amongst other things, says to him that I will build my church. And he speaks, and there's a play on words, as we know before, that you are Peter, uh, but on this rock I will build my church. Uh, And so we see that he says, on this rock I will build my church. And the word church appears in the same book Twice later on again, it's in the same gospel in chapter 18. And in this gospel, again, it has reference to the church. This is before the church has come into being. Remember, we talk about Matthew's gospel. Uh, We have the disciples who have been called out, who have been drawn to Jesus, who has been taught by him, and there is no church, and yet he is already predicting and prophesying about this church that he will build. And that is significant. And we need to just focus on that a bit this morning. This word appears in the gospel, and the next time we see this, this word appear in the New Testament, it's going to be in the Acts and onwards. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, though, Jesus says several things that we have to note about this church. This church is not in existence, but he, he will build it. It is significant that... He says that, I will build, and we need to focus on that because this is going to impact on what we're going to say later about about the church. The church is not in existence, but he will build it, and it's going to be his church. The building of the church is his prerogative, so he will build it, and he says, I will build it. So that's important, that he is going to build the church. Very often, we get the sense that church comes about by accident, that we are responsible for building up a church. Well, we build up each other, but the building of the church uh, is his prerogative and he's alone. Earlier we had a question in one where how do we deal with pastors who say, this is my church? Uh, don't don't mess with my church. If any of the pastors in this church say that, it's time to put them out by the door, give them their car keys and say, don't come back. This is not this church does not belong to anybody in this local form, and definitely not in its universal form. This church is as re- a result of Jesus Christ building His church. I will build my church. And to drive the point home even further, it says, I will build my church. So the I and the my tells you exactly who this church belongs to. It belongs to Christ and Christ alone. And this needs to sink in very deeply. Because I think what we have to move away from is thinking of the church as just another body of faith believers. That's how the world sees us. There are are many faiths in the world, and Christianity is one of those faith groups. Uh, All these groups have their own holy book. They have their own holy leaders. They have their own doctrines that they uh, uh, espouse. They all have their their, uh, church heads. And as Christians, our head is the Pope. Yeah, that's what people think, right? Well, no, we only have one head. He is not only the head of the church. He's the one who gave the church life. He built the church. It's his church. No one else has absolute authority over the church. We can say that unequivocally without any doubt. This church belongs to Jesus Christ. This and all the other local churches like this who are true Bible-believing churches. And the universal church, which we'll talk about next week a little bit, is that entire body of saints that, 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 that are incorporated into the church, the body of Christ, and they are His and His alone. Before we unpack the various aspects of the church, I think it would be helpful to look at why it is called the church and what... It's identity is. I've taken this because we live in historical times when the ideological themes of identity politics is pervasive in the cultural discourse. And so people want you to know what they are called and how they must be identified. Identity and names has become a big thing. It's become weaponized in this current post-modern age. It may surprise you to know that we should also be clear about what We are called and how we identify. We have an identity. We have a name. We need to know what it is and why we have that identity and why we have that name. What are we called? We are called the church. That's it. Jesus Christ said it. I will build my church. That's what we're called, the church. I uh, know that we call ourselves Living Hope Bible Church, and there's a Grace Community Church, and there's Antioch Bible Church. These are all churches in a local sense, and we've taken that word without any um, apology because it's a biblical word. We'll see how we get that word, that name later on. But we can claim that name church because it is a biblical, uh, there's a biblical foundation for that. We are called a church. The word church is used in the English Bible. As it's used in the English Bible, it's derived from two Greek words. Now, I'm going to do something which I don't normally do, I don't want to do, but essentially we do it here, just to come to understand where we are. So, I'm not going to be giving a Greek lesson. You are all going to be joining us on Saturday morning, down the line, for your Greek lessons. <coughs> and apparently it's a church event, so I'm expecting everybody there. But that will be another case. But today, I really want us to try and understand while we are called the church. The first Greek word that is translated, or uh, from which church has been derived, it's not a straight translation, but from which word church has been derived, means belonging to the Lord. And that word appears twice in the New Testament. That word is kiriakos. From that is derived the name church. That word appears twice in the New Testament. It appears in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 20, which speaks about the Lord's Supper. It's, it, it, is, it appears again in that form in Revelation chapter 1, verse 10, which speaks about the Lord's Day. That's the only time that that word, uh, derived from the word Kyriakos, is used in the New Testament, as, and it speaks about the Lord's Supper, and the Lord's Day. Here's a question. What is significant about these being the primary sources of the English word church? Those two references, what is significant about those two references I've just given now uh, from 1 Corinthians 11 and Revelation 1? Are they significant? If so, why? Victor, you nodded your head. I'm sure you had that drive from up north with the open windows, blown all the cobwebs out, so good to see you guys back though. must say that. Why would you think it's significant? You nodded your head. Um, Because
1: he's the one who died to pay for it. to
0: purchase the church. Okay. And it's true because that means what we're speaking about is the Lord's Supper, the supper that belongs to the Lord, and the Lord's Day that belongs to the Lord. What is significant about this, and I know there's a question just out of the blue, both of those terms are directly linked to the church. Think about this. Who celebrates the Lord's Supper? The church. It was instituted in the upper room and it's the church the church who who comprises born again true believers who are able to participate in the Lord's Supper. When do they do that? When do they come together to celebrate the Lord's Supper? First of the week which is commonly known as the Lord's Day. So those two references alone although they're the only two we find in the scriptures form a basis from which the word church is derived and you can see Why? Uh, you can see why they are both significant uh, to the to the people of God, and therefore the people of God, the Lord's people, uh, are derived from that word. So let me ask you a couple of quick things. So let's just see how this is developed. Who can speak Scottish? The origin of the English translation "church" can be seen in its use in several Germanic languages. Who can speak Scottish? What is church in Scottish? Kirk. Kirk. The next one I'm going to show is going to be the Dutch version of church. You want what is. What kind of I can be with Africans' views. Okay. Dutch, Afrikaans, we say Kirk. That is Afrikaans for church. And I'm going to show you that this is how this is developed, which is why we have the word church, although it's not a direct translation from the word. Kiriakos, it has developed through time, through languages, that we have that we were called church, and we understand clearly what it means. If you were German, who speaks German? Please? Die Kirche. Die Kirche, yeah. Oh, you're a man who wears two hats. Don't worry, I've got a special one for you, don't worry about that. You claim that didn't speak to you last week, I'm going to give you double time this week. Die Kirche. Die Kirche, yeah. Die Kirche. Okay. Who recognizes that one? Oh, Johan again. Chirga. <laughs> Chirga. Okay, that is why that's because of Swedish. And you see the development of... Ch- and now listen to the sound. Just say for us again. Chirga. Right, we've gone from a kirk to a chirg. And you see that the development of the languages has ended up that even in English, coming through the old English, we end up with this ch soft sound in the front, we have church. So let me just be something i am throwing on the side to show you that this word is pervasive in all languages and all means the same thing and goes back to an original Greek word from which they've all been derived. So, we are coming to live your Bible... Don't ask me to say it again. (laughs) Swedish is a a thing for another day. So, since cognitive forms of Kirakos are used to describe the Lord's Supper, the Supper belonging to the Lord, and the Lord's Day, the Day belonging to the Lord... It's not surprising that this word is used when identifying the people who belong to the Lord, the Lord's people, or the church, as has developed linguistically over time. So we are called the church, and this name is not by accident. We find its roots in the New Testament. We know in the New Testament it will be in Greek, uh, but over time it's, it's made its way through Germanic languages down to English, and we now call ourselves the church. Questions? Comments? Okay. The second word, uh, or the second Greek word from which church is derived, means uh, assembly. That's what the word means. Uh, it's used in various forms of the word assembly, but that's what it means. Uh, it's derived from the Greek word, Greek word that we know as ecclesia. Ecclesia. Now, many people break the word up, and they try to make it mean called out, and you can see why. Uh, it's a compound word, and, they, and the ek means out of, and the klesia is from uh, ka, uh, Kaleo, Kaleo to call. But really, the church isn't so much a called out people as a called together people, because that's what, what assembly implies. So rather than go that route of looking at breaking this word up, which I think maybe um, a forced meaning on it, although it does seem to have those as part of its compound sources. But the word in the New Testament is used in very specific ways. So this word assembly, which is translated also church, is used in various ways in the New Testament number one. It's used in Acts chapter 11 verse 26. And that is assembly of people who gather together in a in a political way. It's a group who have come together to do something, and we'll refer to them a little later on uh, in the talk, in the lesson. The second way that that word is, shows up in the New Testament is as a, uh, as a congregation. Uh, in Acts chapter 7, uh, Stephen is speaking, and in his, in his, in his uh, preaching, he refers to the children of Israel, who had at Mount Sinai, And God says to Moses, grip the congregation together. And so that refers to the children of Israel. So here are some references of the word assembly, uh, which uh, we translate that same word into the word church, um, is used in the New Testament and is not being used of the church. But by and large, the most use of the word assembly or ecclesia is for the church and is used about 114 times in the New Testament and always refers to the church. The New Testament, the church, the ecclesia, is commonly used as a standard form, formal name of the people of God. And this term for the people of God is used by several of the New Testament writers Matthew, Luke, John, Paul, James, the writer to Hebrews, all of these use the term to identify the New Testament church. This people who've been called together as an assembly, and these people are the ones who, are the, who have come into existence as a result of Jesus Christ fulfilling his own promise I will build my church. Questions? So, just on that uh, compound level. Mm. So if you break up the meaning etymological, well if you break up the meaning it's the two words call out but I don't know if that's a good way of describing it. If you, if you look
1: in the lexicon, yes, the here, mm. so
0: it's a compound generally what Yes. Yes, the, a single the word. Is assembly, yes. Or Yes, uh, absolutely. It's translated as church, but Kiriakos is
1: probably more closer to belonging you know, to the church, but in essence, it is his own congregation that yes. is created. Why is that significant? Because of the Old Testament's understanding of congregation. It's the same word used in the ethnics, Yes. of congregation.
0: Yeah. Now Jesus is saying, I'm not I'm not just adopting the nation of Israel. Well, I'm creating new
1: change in how Jesus uses it. So it, it gives the incorrect understanding when we say
0: the fallout. I agree with you.
1: Because it um, it moves away from what Jesus is saying. that yeah. He's got his own people. He's building his own group of followers. Yes. His own congregation. Yes. Which is not the nation
0: yeah. of Israel. It, but it's not there. Yeah. So, yeah. That's why it's in the yeah. so you explained it's exactly right. Uh, I didn't put up on there because I don't think it's a word we should be using, but I think we hear it all the time. We hear it. the call that once. That is not using the word as it has designed. As Denver has rightly said, Jesus was creating a totally new body, and that is important. It's going to become more important when we get into part two, because I think that impacts how we understand our purpose, our function in the world, which we find ourselves. And before we end, I'm going to show you how that fits in, at least on a very abbreviated uh timeline. So Can I just jump in again? yes,
1: the point <clears throat> why is it significant that you just mentioned is because people view the church in Israel as one. Yep. As being uh, an extension of God's own uh people. Yes. But if Jesus is saying in the future tense for those of you students, it's so so it in the future tense saying that I will, it's something that still has to happen. and it's something distinct from what the Old Testament said to So, therefore, Israel cannot be the church, and the church cannot be Israel. We can't adopt um, qualities of Israel because we are not. Yeah, It's, mm-hmm. it's by definition independent and distinctly new from God's um, people of the people
0: of God in the Old Testament. Thanks. And now I'm going to jump to my last slide and just say Amen. They must give my our lesson, but absolutely. Uh, and I think that's a point, and, I, and I'm glad you're saying that because that's the point I want to leave you with. That this is a distinct group. We must not conflate who we are with the Old Testament. Both testaments are valid. Both testaments are the Word of God. But God has distinctly chosen to work through His people in different ways, and we, in, or different people. And there's always been to fulfill His purposes. But we must not confuse who we are. We need to know who we are and why we are who we are. Now that we know that we are called the church, let's look a bit at what our identity is. And why is it important to know our identity? Because who we are and what we are sets us apart from others. That's exactly what Demba has just said now. We We are set apart from others who use the same term but it does not use in the same way. So, And with this distinction of being unique, our identity, there is a responsibility for the specific role we have been called to fill in the world. There is an accountability to the one who is our supreme authority and is an expectation of obedience to the word. So we have been called into this world, we have been raised, we've been born again, we've been placed into the body of Christ by the Holy Spirit, so we may fulfill a specific purpose that God has for the church, the church of Jesus Christ, which was... A body that he, as the investor so rightly said, was still to bring into being from the perspective of Matthew chapter 16. Future. It wasn't there yet. So therefore, if it wasn't there yet, it couldn't have been in the past. You have to make the connection. It, it only starts sometime after Matthew chapter 16. Before that, there was no church. Not a New Testament church. So, our identity is instigably linked to Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. And I want to repeat it again because it's important. I will build my church. That's got to resonate in your mind. Every time you think about the church eschatologically, you have to think about this: that the church had a specific beginning. It was something that took place in a specific moment of time. And that time is easy to identify, and we will identify it later on this morning. So we take identity from Christ, we are his people. We belong to him, and he has a special relationship with us, the church. We're now going to look at four passages to see how Christ established his church. By identifying those who were his, he called them to himself, he sent them out to to disciple others, and the church is built one saved soul at a time for the past 2,000 years, and will continue to be built in that way until he comes. So, I'm going to go through all four of these um, sections, these texts, and I'm going to read them to you, uh, and I want you to read them with me. I'll put them up on the board so you can find them if you do lose track. We're going to read all four of those, and I want to show you how clearly in Jesus' mind, the establishment of his church was not something that happened because things just fell into place. It was, it was, it was, it was, a, it was in the purposes of God And in the design of God and in the mind and heart of Jesus Christ, that these people will be established. John chapter 17, verse 6, he says in his high priestly prayer, I've manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Who is he speaking about? No, there's no church in in, in John 17. I'm manifesting them to the people. Listen, Listen. Demi spoke about the future tense, listen now about the past tense. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world, yours they were, and you gave it to me, and they have kept your word. These are the disciples that Jesus had called to himself. Those are the ones that God gave him, and this was going to be the foundation, the groundwork from which he's going to build up the building of the church. This is where it all starts. It's in seminal form it is still in the form that needs to be shaped and, 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 and reach a point where he's is able to set them loose. But this is the people that God gave Him, what the disciples, yours they were, and you gave them to Me, they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given Me is from you, for I have given them the words that you gave Me. The church wasn't there for Christ to give them His words, He gave it to the disciples. And they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you, And they had believed that you sent me. He's speaking about the disciples who have believed that he is, what Peter said, the Christ, the Son of the living God. They've come to believe this is who he is. John chapter 17, verse 17, just down in the same prayer. He says about the same people who was given to him out of the world, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Right? So this is people... That was alive in the time of Jesus Christ, who had become part of his people, and he sent them out into the world. Matthew 28 verse 18, which we spoke about in the last lesson. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So, now, those who are, to whom he had given his word, what is he now telling them to do? To stay at home? To sit by the fireside? Drink coffee and have chips? To go. Well, they, in their going, they were to make disciples. So keep the thought and let's get back to John chapter 17 and see what it says in his prayer in John chapter 17 as we read that in the light of Matthew 28. John 17 verse 20 says, I do not ask for these only, that's for those who have received his word as the disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one as, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That They also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you've given me, I've given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, in I in them, and you in me. And they may become perfectly ones, that the world may know that you sent me, and love them even as you love me. Jesus Christ calls disciples to himself. He teaches them, he trains them, he exemplifies to them what they are supposed to do. He shows Him through lessons, and through, and through the life he lived, and through miracles, what, what, what he, what he, who he is, and what they are to do. He prays for them, he sends him into the world, and because of that sending, you and I are sitting here today. That's a simple line. It's a straight trajectory. It doesn't matter how far we're living from uh, the land of Israel. It doesn't matter that we're living 2,000 years later. You can draw a straight line from your salvation to the prayer of Jesus Christ and to Matthew chapter 16. It's a straight line. And you are here, and I am here today because of that, um, of that... Um, plan and purpose that He brought into to be. This verse makes it absolutely clear that identity is dependent on Him. In Him, Him in us, and us in Him. This is unique. Christ in the church and us in Him. This is unique. This is not true of Israel. He was amongst Israel. He was in the midst, but He was never in them and they were never in Him. Because remember that Israel, when they appeared before the Lord, even at Sinai, they were a mixed group. There were those who were righteous and those who were unrighteous. But the church has a unique uh, relationship with, with not only Jesus Christ, but with God Himself. Them in us and we in them. This is unique and it's only uh, true of those who are called the church. Our existence as a church had a thick starting point in historical time. Our coalescing, our coming together to form one mass or a whole was the ultimate outcome of the original disciples fulfilling the Great Commission. In the Gospels, Jesus is seen drawing people who are His own from the nation of Israel, teaching them and preparing them for evangelizing the world, including the Gentiles, so that from Jews and Gentiles, a new body of people would be born, who are neither Jew nor Gentile, but one in Christ. Galatians 3.28 And instead instead of being called Jew or Gentile, What are they now called, according to Acts chapter 11? In Antioch, they were first called Christians. We have a new identity. We've been given a new ethnicity. And and ethnicity means that you belong to a group of people who share a common background or come from a common descent. We have a new ethnicity. And we are called Christian. Yes, we may still have certain... Cultural uh, norms. Uh, Jews will always eat matzahs and um, kosher. Um, Some people in the southern suburbs will not eat uh, Gatsby. Uh, All of those things come, come into play. We all had our cultural idiosyncrasies, but we are a changed people, we are a new people. We never, this church never existed before, it's totally new, and we are part of that new group. In Acts 2, we see the disciples of Jesus being baptized with the Holy Spirit, and the church is birth. Before, there was no group of people called the New Testament church, no group identified as a church. But since Pentecost, we now have a body, a body of Christ who is called the church. That was their beginning and exists still today. Distinct from Israel, uh, having come here because of the blessings uh, of the Messiah who was promised, so, the promises were made in the Old Testament. We see the blessing there, but we are a distinct group from the group known as uh, Israel. Right. I want to ask you a question. So, to which testament uh, is a church confined? Try to be clear to which testament is the church confined? The New Testament, Matthew 16, verse 18, Matthew 28, 18 to 20, tells us very clearly that the church is confined to the New Testament. Who do you say the church is found in the New Testament or the Old Testament? I've asked this question more than one time, and I think I need to make you understand that the church uh, belongs to one area. Uh, in history, and that area in history has a starting point. Acts chapter 2, verse 1 to 4. I've already given you the clue. What is that significant? What is significant But Acts chapter 2, verse 1 to 4? Come on. What happened in Acts chapter 2? Ah, you saw it up there. Yeah. See, he's a good doctor. He knows how to get things quickly. <laughs> yeah. It was Pentecost. Acts 2 verse 1, that's Pentecost. That is a significant date and time. Were there people saved up until this point in the New Testament? Yeah. And they were there? Absolutely. Were they part of the church before this point? No, there was the church to be part of. Acts 22, Acts chapter 2 verse 1 to 4, Pentecost, on the day of Pentecost, when they all came together, suddenly they came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rest on each one of them and they were all full with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave utterance. The date is not tied down in stone but around about AD 30, could be 33, could be 30, we're not going to debate that right now but just to give you a point in time, around about AD 30, this follows... Two, three significant events. Three. Number one, crucifixion. Number two, the resurrection. Number three, the ascension. Come on, guys. This is Living in Bible Church, right? We do, I think, teach what we have. Crucifixion, resurrection, ascension, and then Pentecost. And this has happened in that same time AD 30, that same year, same time. So Pentecost sets into play something that we know as the church age. Starts at Pentecost. That red line is significant. Because that red line has got limits. Its arrowhead starts at Pentecost. Before that, the arrowhead doesn't shoot past. It only starts there. Does it have an end? This established at the beginning of the church age. The church was started at Pentecost and is completed when? What is that about? 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Yeah. There we go. The rapture. So, those two events are the bookends of what's called the church age. The church starts at Pentecost. It is birth at Pentecost from those who are already saved. From Pentecost to the rapture, all those who are then saved uh, as they are discipled or saved. Uh, and placed in the body of Christ, become part of the church, and when the last one of that comes in, when the church is finally full, with all those of God has purpose to place in the church, uh, then the rapture will take place. The rapture does not take place before that. When is it going to happen? We've got no idea. Am I right, Wayne? And why is it important that we have no idea? We do not look for? We do not look for? We look for signs. We we, we are very aware of this postmodern world winding down to a condition that we know will look horrendously horrible by the time we get to tribulation, but we're not there yet. We're not at the tribulation yet. We're not at the time when the man of sin is reigning. We're not at that time when men are so evil that God ends up destroying one-third of the heavens, one-third of the seas, one-third of the land, when hailstones fall out of the sky the size of cement bags. That's not happening yet. And there are those signs. And don't worry about the, the wars and the rumors of wars you're hearing about today. There's always been wars in the, in the, in the world. There's never been a time without war except maybe with the Pax Romana when one army kept the entire world under their control. Now don't worry about floods and tornadoes. That's always been happening. When these things happen at that time, you'll see signs of the supernatural. But we have no signs, so we wait for that with anticipation, with joy, and with one word on your tongues. What is that? Iron. There you go, brother. Arthur. Even so come Lord Jesus. So to just sum it up, everyone say between the bookends of Pentecost and the Rapture, both Jews and Gentiles are included in this New Testament church. I'm gonna ask you a question in closing because you only have 10 minutes. Any questions before I go there? Any questions? Any comments? Anything you want to add? Will have be next week? Uh? Next week? Yes. Okay. It's timid. Do you want to mention something about it? No, no, no. no you save it? Yeah. Great. Okay. We can, so. We can, we can, uh, it'll be a <laughs> 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 so, <laughs> so what we try to do, a couple of things. Remember, the, the, the theme is, Christ in the church and the supremacy, Christ in the postmodern world. But we've got to see ourselves with the context of God's plan. And so we have to understand why we are in this particular section of God's history, how we are, what's the purpose of being in, how we are going to be affected, impacted by uh, the things around us as we address them through the lenses uh, of the Word of God, the power of the Holy Spirit. But I want to leave you with a question. Yes, brother. Will you come in late, brother? Yes, yes, I ah, dealt with it. No, I dealt with it. But <laughs> <laughs> why why on Pentecost? Why on the day of Pentecost? Why is it so significant? Um, specifically in the story of the timeline, that the church or the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost? Hmm. Oh. Does anybody know why it came on the day of Pentecost? No. Do you know, what, oh. do you, do you know what, what happened before the day of Pentecost? Was the feast of... If you ask a question, you're a lawyer, bro. If you ask a question, you know the answer. So, Pentecost was a significant um, festival day in the Jewish calendar. It was um, 50 days after. Sorry, I'm confusing the Jewish calendar with the Christian calendar. The Pentecost was after the Feast of Booths. Um, and seeing that I've been asked a question on the spur, of the moment by someone in the audience who came in late, um, I will unpack that for you next week a little bit and give you clarity on it before I confuse all of you and you abu- accuse me of being a false prophet. Just ask him. I asked him. He shook his head. He didn't know. He didn't. We'll educate it next week. Yeah, but it's a good question, and it's, and, and it's a good. And tell you why it's a good question. This is specific. So the why I say it's a good, That is the why it's a good question. Nothing in the Scripture is by chance. Understand clearly. If you believe that God is sovereign number one, if you believe that the Word of God is inspired, which means is God breathed, then nothing is in here by accident. And if something happens on a specific day, there's a reason for it happening a specific day. Why? Why did Jesus Christ die on Good Friday? What was it? What were they celebrating? The Passover. So these things that we see as as uh, part of the economy of Israel, they are there. They they were uh, lessons and they were uh, things to that gave foreshadowing of a greater event to come. And so he died on that day because it was significant that it was the Passover. And so the Spirit coming on Pentecost, it will be significant because Pentecost was a significant event. Next week, we give Shanton five minutes to give us a full outline. So, I want to ask that question of you. I'm going to leave you with a question. I want you to think about the question very carefully and I want you to give me an answer next week of what you think that is saying and whether it's correct or That is a definition from a, a well-used um, um, systematic theology, and it's from a well-known writer of a systematic theology, and he says, listen to the words carefully, the church is the community of all true believers for all time. Don't answer me. I want you to think about that, and I want you to give me an answer next week, one or two or three of you, as I call on you, and give me perhaps some reasons as to why that is true or false or maybe needs to be changed. Would it help if you know who the author is? Why do you have a favorite author, brother? I think for those who don't know I'm going to give you his name and maybe you'll go and look up his it's one of the most, uh, commonly used everybody refers to me, and the reason I'm putting that there sorry I'm off camera whoa <laughs> 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 this thing doesn't help the reason I'm putting that there is because we are a church that's busy training up men as the clock stopped wow oh sorry we, we are a church that's busy training up men and we use these books and I want you to point it to you very carefully. That when we use these books, those books are not inspired. We need to read them carefully. We need, we need to absorb what we're reading and decide, in the light of the scriptures that we know and believe and trust, whether the, these things are true. Don't just take it as, as for granted that because it's a well-read, well-known theology by a, a good man of God, many areas of Wayne Grudem is good. Don't just accept what you see. Be a good Berean, look at it, think about that theologically, and next year we, will, we will discuss it. i will give you a chance to give questions before, it's again too late to have one now. Sorry? Let's hear, hear a question. Wayne, do you want to ask something? Oh, okay, fine. So, um, we're already on time, it's uh, 45 seconds there for this hour. Uh, yeah. The clock is wrong. Uh, don't preach with the clock, brother. We're going to go home today.? <laughs> hey? Oh, sorry. My clock is wrong. How many minutes? Eight. Eight minutes. Okay. The clock is right. OK. So any questions? Quickly, before I break. Why are we calling Christians? When were they first called Christians? at which church were they first called Christians? Come on. And Come on, man. So they couldn't be called Christians because they were first called Christians. And as a matter of interest, why were they called Christians? Yeah. It really means little Christs. Little Christs. They lived their lives so reflective of Christ as the church that people said, these are little Christs. And that... As we need to take with us because we are the same church that were called Little Christ at Antioch. Can we be found guilty of that same claim today of people accusing us of being Little Christs? That's a challenging question.
1: So just answer, they were saved. Yeah, they were saved. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I absolutely. They were saved outside of the church. The church yes. So some people still believe that I'm saved, but I don't need a church. And I'm just
0: that's okay if they climb your time machine and go back to pre-Pentecost they can do that but until they can do that and you're safe today you're part of the church they may not claim that and they may find you need to now be able to take these verses and show them why they're part of the church and maybe from next week it'll help a bit more Victor so sort of curiosity, what happens to the people who are saved you said uh, it's from Pentecost to rapture church age what about people in, revel-
1: in, in tribulation are saved? Mm. They,
0: what does, this, what does the Bible call them? Um, tribulation saints. Thank you, brother. Let's with that for the time being. They're called tribulation saints. Yeah. They are saved, and on what, what basis are they saved? <coughs> well, the same well, as Old Testament saints. I, just, I, just, I just you, so as well, what basis are they saved? Yeah, yeah. In yeah on, the, on the finished work of Calvary, on the finished work of Christ. Same as Old Testament saints. It was by grace. So the, no, they're not part of the church. The church has gone and the church is up with, with the Lord. Now, we may have eschatological variances, which is why Denver's going to be treating, teaching eschatology very soon. Yes, sir. But, <laughs> but they're not the church. The church is a closed group, fixed number, starts at a certain time, ends at a certain time. The rapture is not the end of the church. It's not the end of the church. It's the close of the church age. The church does not end. The church exists forever. Because as long as Christ is there, His bride is with Him. And we are their bride. Perhaps next week we can hear some of those things. Yeah.
1: So, is a return to a focus on the nation of Israel? It's just not now. Correct. Um, if they do get saved, Jews do get saved. They're part of the church.
0: Correct. Absolutely. And that's that's something we need to. We, so, what we talk about now, what the just said now, and what we've raised, and this is one. This is part of the, the distinctives of this church. This is what we believe. It's important to understand that this is what we espouse. This is what we will be teaching. And we need to understand it. And sometimes you just go over these things glibly, but it's important that we know who we are, why we are what who we are, and what we are. And this is all important to us in the current age we're living in. Um, one last question. I saw a hand, and I'll take it from there. Brother. One last question. Yes. How was the disciple saved and not getting involved by the Sorry? couple of ways to answer that were were, were.
1: oh that's right <laughs> yeah,
0: Holy Spirit discussion. that's Saturday <laughs> yeah brother <laughs> Saturday no no you're right no no he's right you always said the right what's happening on Saturday what's happening Saturday but you're going to be there <laughs> there we go that's fine That's why you that's why you go home and you teach your wives what's happening. We have to break up? We'll answer in this forum after you've been here on next Saturday. Uh, three minute break, we get together and then we'll start the next session. Thank you very much.